You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to take them and turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. God has been, God has already been working. And I can tell you, a lot of things have happened already this morning that just let me know the Lord, the Lord is in the place. The Lord is doing a great thing. If you're much of a reader at all, you have probably at some point or another gone into Barnes and Noble or back when Borders was open, you went in, you saw books that were written by a man by the name of Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens Hitchens is the writer of a book called God is Not Great. He doesn't call himself an atheist. He calls himself an anti-theist. He is, uh, some wrote this week that he is not only a British author, but he was identified as the champion of the new atheism movement. In, this, in one article this week, and, and, uh, it made this statement, he believed that free expression and scientific discovery should replace religion as a means of teaching ethics and defining civilization. In fact, they went on to say in this article that an asteroid, 57901, was named after him. While he was writing, while he was touring the United States and around the world for his autobiography, a book by the name of Hitch 22, he finally gave up the battle to cancer and he died. When I read that, it, it, it saddened me because I thought to myself that if Christopher Hitchens had never received Christ, then he went into eternity forever into hell. And when I heard that, I wondered, I wondered if at the brink of death, maybe just at the moment of death, that maybe in that moment that in his, even in his thoughts, he cried out, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Carl Sagan, who wrote the book Cosmos, when his, Cosmos, when his, when, when he died, his wife said this, she bragged, she said, Carl Sagan never never gave in. He remained an atheist till his last breath. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, when he died, I think his words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. I want you to spend a moment in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, We just come to you, dear Lord. We are reminded that we serve a a risen Savior. That, dear Lord, even as we look at this passage today, that, Lord Jesus, we can say to a world that is grasping and holding out for some sense of hope that Jesus, He is alive. He's alive. The old song that says, I serve a risen Savior He's in the world today. But then it goes on to say, how do you know he's alive? He lives because he lives in my heart. And Father, I pray today that our hearts would be sensitive, that the power of your Holy Spirit that is a part of this service would speak to us in a way that we will never, ever forget. Lord, touch us today. And Lord, I pray if there be anyone in this room, dear Lord, that that sin holds them in bondage and they are held by the enemy, I pray that you would set them free. Lord, forgive us where we fail you. Cleanse us, make us vessels, not just to preach your word, but to be able to hear it. And we give you all the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Paul said this, he said, if Christ 
be not risen from the dead. He said, we of all men are to be most pitied. You know, if you think about that, it ought to touch every one of us. I remember when Sheila and I, when we were going to Zimbabwe and we were on our way to the airport and and I had rode with a preacher friend of mine, a, a dear friend by the name of Dennis Jones. We were riding together and and uh, he was carrying me to the airport and the families were all carrying the rest of uh, all the other gang and the luggage, we had 50-something pieces of luggage. And uh, we, here we were on our way to Africa and, and he and I were riding along and it got real quiet, just two preachers. We've gone through seminary together, been in the ministry around each other and he finally said, he said, man, how do you feel? He said, you're getting ready to go to the other side of the world. I mean, you've liquidated everything. You've sold your vehicle. You've gotten, ri- you've gotten rid of all of your furniture, so much of it. And you've, you've kind of gotten down to the bare necessity. You're getting ready to go to Zimbabwe, Africa, maybe live for the rest of your life. How do you feel? And a Bible was laying between Dennis and I. And I patted that Bible and I said, Dennis, I am gambling everything that this is truth. Jim Johnsonius, I'd been in Zimbabwe about a year. I was in the treasurer's office one day in our business office there in Zimbabwe. He had a rolled up, they would they send the Baptist record rolled up real tight and, and, and wound real tight so it, you almost have to iron it to, to get it to spread out a little bit. He handed it to me. And I was just kind of reading through it, through it, looking through some of the news back here in Mississippi when all of a sudden I just groaned and I just began to get teary-eyed. And it, it, James Strange was the, was the treasurer and he, he, he said, Man, what's wrong? And I said, Jim Johnsonius. I said, Jim's dead. He said, Who? I said, Jim and I went through MLC together. We were appointed at the same time. He was married. He went to Argentina. I said, he's dead. He died in a car accident. I understand what Paul means here. I'm sure men like Anthony and Alan and these families that are committed and our staff that are committed to doing full-time ministry and sometimes it's very difficult, they understand what Paul's saying when Paul said, listen, if there is no resurrection of Christ, then we are, a, we are to be most pitied. Paul didn't say, listen, he didn't say this, he didn't say we were fools. He said we were not, he said we're not merely idiots. He said this, he said we are to be pitied. And I want you to know something, boy, that's true. Wednesday night, Wednesday night, the only way I can say it is that all hell broke loose. That's the only way I can put it. It seemed like the pit of hell had opened up. It seemed like at a certain point, and this is the second Wednesday night, it was absolutely unbelievable. There was such spiritual warfare taking place here around our facility. I have never, I'm 56 years old, I have never had somebody use that kind of profanity in my face threatening me the way I was threatened Wednesday night. But this is the kind of world that we live in. And I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said that he believed that in these last days that there was a great spiritual chasm and good was getting better and evil is getting worse and it seems as if we're moving toward Armageddon. And so I understand what Paul says here when Paul makes this statement, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we of all men are to be most pitied. Now I want you to see three things real quickly this morning. So I want you to take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I pray that you have your Bible with you today. If you don't, there's one there in the pew. And I want to encourage you, if you cannot, if you do not have a Bible, you cannot afford a Bible, you let us know and we will get you a good Bible, okay? Amen? 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 Okay, that's great. We've got some people in this room right now that will go buy you a Bible today. All right, Dwayne and, and Ramona will take you to lunch and he'll go buy you a Bible. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay. Now I want you to look at Luke chapter 24. Remember Luke is a physician. Luke is a physician. He's a traveling partner of the Apostle Paul. And so Luke is putting all of this information together and now he's coming to the closing of his letter that he's written to Theophilus. 
And we've been looking through this. We've been going on this journey for months. But now we come to this last chapter in chapter 24. And beginning at verse 1, Luke says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared. They went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down and with their faces to the ground. The men said to them, I want you to look at this here. I want you to see this. I want this question to weigh in your heart today. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now look at verse 11. You see it? But they did not believe. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up. Don't you love Peter? Impetuous Peter. Stick, he wrote the book, How to Stick Your Foot in Your Mouth. <laughs> Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, I want you to see three things here. First of all, I want you to understand why they went. Listen to what William Barclay says here. William Barclay made an interesting opening comment about this passage here. He said, The Jewish Sabbath was our Saturday. It was the last day of the week, and it commemorated the rest that God had from the work of creation. The Christian Sunday is the first day of the week and commemorates the resurrection of Jesus. So on this first Christian Sunday, the women went to the tomb as they thought to carry out the last offices of love for their dear dead to embalm and and anoint the body of Jesus with their spices. In the east, tombs were often carved out in the caves in the rocks. The body was wrapped in long linen strips like bandages. Then it was laid on a shelf in the rock tomb. The tomb was then closed by a great circular stone like a cartwheel which ran in a groove across the opening. When the women came, the stone was rolled away. Now I want you to understand first of all why these women went. And what is important for you and I to see here and what Luke is trying to help Theophilus to see is these women were going to anoint a dead body. They were not going expecting a risen Lord. Over 30 plus years of helping families and being with people when they lose a loved one, one of the things that I've discovered is, is so often their memories, everything is tied to a body. So often you'll see a family, they'll come into that scene. I, I've gone with them. They'll, they go into that funeral parlor. They'll go into that funeral home. Some of them say, Brother Jeff, would you mind going with us? If they've lost a child, if they lost a teenager, if they lost somebody unexpectedly, the idea is we can't get through this. Would you mind going with us? I've helped families pick out coffins and walked up and down those rows looking at those coffins making that decision I've sat with with I've sat with people that have lost a child and sat there because financially they couldn't afford a vault to put that coffin in I remember one time a few years ago when a precious little dear precious little boy in our church went to be with the Lord 
And I've watched that family as they begin to wrestle with how they were going to afford to bury that child. And as we went through that, picking out that coffin, and finally there came that moment when we were there and, 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 and he began to talk to them about what it would be like if there wasn't a vault. And I knew they couldn't afford it. And they were sitting there with tears in their eyes, not having the financial means to do it. Finally, I stood up and I said, would you give me a minute? I stepped out in the hallway, called one of our deacons. He said, go ahead and do it as quickly as you can. You take care of that. If the church has any problem with it, I will. My friend, I thank God that's the kind of church that we are. We may not have a lot. Our carpet may be wrinkled. We may not have a lot. But I can tell you this much. We will come alone beside people when they are hurting. And this was, and this was the scene here. These women were going to the tomb of Joseph, this chiseled out cave, walking, going in there. And you can imagine this ledge where they had laid the body of Jesus. They had quickly prepared it for burial. What Joseph of Arimathea did, he did very quickly. He put him in his own tomb. He laid the body of Jesus, wrapped it in that linen cloth, put what few spices he could hurriedly get in there, and then he put that body on that ledge, closed that, put that stone across there, and there they left it. Now Pilate, along with the temple priest and those had already gotten an assembly of guards to watch over that tomb to ensure that the body would not be stolen. But these women had gone with pounds of spikenard and spices simply filled with tragedy, filled with brokenness. And all they went to do was anoint a dead body. That's all they expected to find there. You know, I wrote down something that I didn't want to forget, a principle. A Savior in a tomb is no Savior at all. The religions of the world gather around their tombs. But I want you to know something. I thank God that we have an empty tomb. Because a Savior in a tomb is no Savior at all. So why did they go? They went because they loved Christ. They went to give that final act of just taking care of his body. Now secondly, what did they find? Look at verse 4 here. While they were wondering about this, now they come here and the, the scene is, the stones rolled away. The body is nowhere to be found. While they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men asked them this question, Why do you look for the living among the dead? An empty tomb, an empty grave. Let me put this in perspective. Suppose that you went, you buried a loved one, and after you buried that loved one, the next day or a couple of days later, you go to that gravesite, and as you walk up there and you're going across the cemetery, as you get closer and closer to that grave, all of a sudden you look and the grave has been dug up. You look into that grave, the casket is open, and you look to your dismay and your horror, and the body's gone. And your first reaction is, these are grave robbers. My goodness, is there nothing sacred anymore? And all of a sudden you see an angelic assembly standing by that gravesite, And they begin to tell you that your loved one is not here. They are alive. This is the scene here. There's two things here that the angel says. First of all, in verses 5 through 7, what the angel is saying here is, and I want you to listen to this, he's saying, you did not listen. As kindly as he can say it to these women, he's saying, you did not listen. In verse 6, he said, he's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you how, while he was still with you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day he'll rise from the dead. You didn't listen. You didn't comprehend. You didn't believe. How often would Christ say that to some of us? You know, the Word of God, sometimes we can read it and read it and read it. Have you ever been reading the Word of God and all of a sudden something, it says something to you that you've never noticed before? That still happens to me. And I'm sure it happens to all of us. And I think, man, how did I mess it for so long? Secondly, there's a critical question here. In verse 5, I want you to see this. Underline it. Dog ear the pages. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
That's a good question. Because I don't know about you, but in our lives, in my life, and sometimes probably in your life, I find myself looking for life in dead things. We see a world today that's looking with the dried up remains of religion. Some of you look in an empty promise of relationships. You just think, man, if I could get this relationship right, if I could just work this out, then my life would be complete. My friend, if that's what you're looking for, that relationship has become your idol. Some of you say, if I could just get my finances worked out, if I could just make ends meet, if I could just get a job, then my life would straighten out and everything would be all right. I could just get my education. If I could just pass this test, get this degree, get this behind me. And my friend, all of those things end up being idols. The only thing that is important in your life and in my life is our relationship, a vibrant life-changing, born-again experience with a living Savior. All this other stuff, if you and I are looking to these as promises of some kind of hope or dream or ambition, all they are, listen, are the dried remains of something that is dead that will never satisfy. Some of us are looking in among the dead for life, and it's not there. You know, the fall colors have been unbelievable, haven't they? I mean, still even now. Sheila and I will be riding along sometimes. You'll say, look at the colors. We were riding along yesterday and the sunshine was hitting this, this tree and it was like it illuminated it as if it was just literally just had light in and of itself. And Sheila said, isn't that beautiful? And I mean, we both were just astounded. But my friend, let me remind you of something. As beautiful as it is, those are dead leaves. That's all they are. Sheila and I were pulling out of the driveway and all of a sudden we looked and there was a leaf. And you know, it was one of those big giant leaves. It was just, just slowly just falling down. We just sat there watching it. Looked like a, it looked like a glider coming out of heaven. But the reality is, is that all of that beauty is death. And it's coming down. And so I want to ask you, and I'm asking myself, why do we look for the life, why do we look for life-changing things, for life and dead things? Because i got news for you, the world's doing that every day. That's a good, that's a good question. They were saying this is a place of, of dead. This is a place of death. He's not here, he's alive. Jeff, I always think about in Zimbabwe and that those Africans as we had walked the streets of Chitanguiza and old Simon Jane of that old African pastor would be crying out, Jesu, Arimu Upenyu, Jesu, Arimu Upenyu, Jesus, He's alive. I remember preaching a revival years ago in a place called Hunyani. Jeff, we went there, there in Chitanguiza. And I was preaching in this church and there came that point to where I was in such passion as I was preaching the Word and it, it was Easter Sunday that I began to go to the doors of that church sitting there in the middle of that township right outside of the capital of Zimbabwe. And I was saying, Jesu, I remove pin you. And I'd run to the window, Jesu, I remove pin you. I'd run to this window, Jesu, I remove pin you. In fact, I tell you when it was. It was when Gary Blakeney and I had gone. That's when it was. And the invitation, people begin to move, people begin to be saved, people begin to come down the aisle. And all of a sudden the doors opened up. And a young man came in that church and he almost looked disoriented. And he came down that aisle and he looked at the pastor and he said, and he said, I'm coming to receive Christ. He had not been in the service. The preacher looked at him and said, why are you here? I mean, what, what caused you to come? He said, I heard a voice saying, Jesu, I remove pin you. Jesus, he is alive. That's why I came. And that young man went on to be a leader in that church. You see, this is what they were crying out. Many of us are looking for life among the dead promises of the world. My friend, it's not a matter of whether you get your education. 
It's not a matter of whether you work out your relationship with whoever it is. It's not a matter of you having one more baby or one more. It's not a matter of you getting a different job. It's not a matter of you waiting till you get your finances in order. It is a matter of you right now saying the most important thing in my life is my relationship with Christ. That's it. They found an empty tomb. They found an angelic assembly. Third, what did they do? Think about it. How many of you, you go into a... Anybody's ever been in class, especially a language class. These are the worst things you hear in a Greek or Hebrew or I took, I took two couple years of German. The worst thing in the world is for the press, professor to come in. I remember old Dr. Bueller at Mississippi State, German professor, take out a half sheet of paper. Sometimes he'd say in German, I'd have to look at somebody and go, what do you say? I'd never carried a half sheet of paper. But if I could say anything to you, it would be take out a half sheet of paper. Let me give you a test this morning and see if you're ready today. Suppose you, suppose you bury a loved one, somebody that is dear to you. Maybe as a parent you bury a child. Maybe as a husband you bury your wife. Maybe as a uh, teenager you bury a parent. You are devastated. You're broken. You go back to that grave site, as we said a moment ago, and you discover that the grave is dug up, you see the coffin open, you see your loved one is gone, and there is an angelic assembly. There are two men glistening like lightning. And they look at you and say, they're not here. They're alive. Let me ask you this. First of all, let me ask you a question. What would you do? First of all, as soon as you had a sanity test, because some of you think, well, man, I'm... And you'd be shaking your head. Hmm. Okay? But the truth is, is that you and I, we, listen, we would run everywhere. You know, I thought about this. One of these days, my kids are going to bury me. It's going to happen. They're going to put me six feet under. They're going to stick me in a coffin, and it better be a cheap one. I don't want no vault, and I want a pine box. I want it as cheap as you can make it. Give it to people that are hurting, people in need. Give it to the mission field. You can wrap it up in a blanket and throw it down there. I'm not there anyway. But there's going to come that moment. But could you imagine, could you imagine that if I died, the pastor of this church, my kids took me over there and buried me in a cemetery. And Emily goes over there two or three days later. I think Emily would be the first one. Emily goes over there with, a, with some, some flowers. She just had her tonsils out this past week, so you pray for her. She goes over with a handful of flowers. She gets up there and the grave's dug up. She looks down in the grave. She's crying and, and coffin's open. She turns about that time and there are two angels standing there beside and they say, Emily, he's alive. He's not here. He already went to the house. I can guarantee this much. I can tell you what she'd be doing. She'd be running to Ledge's office. She'd say, Ledge, Dad's alive! She'd run to Jeffrey, Dad's alive! She'd call Amy, Amy, you got to get here. Dad's alive! Well, my friend, I want you to know something. Your eternal, loving, heavenly Father who put on the flesh and the robes of man, as the African says, Mwari Akafeka Munyama, who put on the flesh of man, stepped into this creation and paid the penalty of sin and defeated death and rose to heaven. He's alive. He's alive. Amen. Now let me ask you this, second question. Why don't you and I tell any more people than we do? I'm going to tell you this much. That little old 5 foot 10, 130 pound blonde, you couldn't shut her up. She's as hard headed as her daddy. You couldn't shut her up if she believed that. But what happens to you and I? Why don't you and I do it any more than we do? i tell you why. Because we quit believing. We begin to lose faith. Or we lose passion. Or we lose urgency. 
Or we begin to get to run into person after person who doesn't believe us. Let me tell you what. Emily, if her own brother, Ledge, or Jeffrey, or Amy, or sister, I guarantee if one of them said, Emily, I don't believe you. Emily would say, I tell you what, you come with me. I'll show you. We had a service out here on a sunrise service on Easter Sunday. There was a man that wasn't a believer. He didn't care anything. His wife was a member of this church. I can tell you what I said, and it changed him. I was out there preaching my heart out. People were driving up and down Raymond Road. We were having a sunrise service. Ruby may have been there. We were having a sunrise service, and all of a sudden I said, you know what happened? Now listen to this. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. The Bible says when they get to the tomb, they run in there, and Peter sees something. They see something that immediately changes them and causes them to believe. Do you know what it was? The linen wrappings... The body was exhumed through the linen wrappings like you would take a body out of a mummy. In other words, what they saw was a cocoon-looking contraption that had held a body and it wasn't there. And they believed. They believed. Peter and John in that moment believed. I want you to understand that. In verse 9, watch what they did. Watch what these women did. I love this. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Luke tells Theophilus, he says it was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, it was Mary the mother of James, it was the others with them who told this to the disciples, to the apostles. Now watch in verse 11. Don't you thank God for Luke's honesty here. He says in verse 11, but they did not believe the women. These women dropped everything. They rushed back. They were out of breath. They said to these men, listen, he's alive. They went to those that were hiding, who had risked everything, who had walked away from their professions and followed Christ and now were devastated and broken and alone and hopeless and feeling abandoned. They busted men. Look, they burst up in there and said, listen, Jesus, he's alive. I'm going to tell you something, folks. All of you listen to this. Some of you are uncommitted. We can't, we can't depend on you for nothing. Some of you literally, because of your uncommitment, are hurting the ability of this church to carry out its mission. And I can tell you this much, sooner or later, God's going to deal with you. I pray that God deals with you. Because I thought Wednesday night, some of you in this room could have helped us, could have been here, could have been a part of this, could be a part of the solution, but you're part of the problem. And I pray that God in 2012 will deal with you so decisively that you'll come to repentance and say, Pastor, I'm sorry. Where can I plant my life and be a part of what you're doing here at Southside? Oh, my friend, I can tell you this much. These are days, these are uncertain times. If God doesn't judge America, I agree with what Ruth Bell Graham said. He'll have to go to the pit of hell and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you are raising children today. These children desperately need to be centered in the cause and the purpose of the church. God doesn't deal with us, my friend, I'll be shocked. In verse 11, these men looked at these women and said, that's nonsense. In the New Living Translation, that word is translated nonsense. It means that it's unbelievable, but they were willing to investigate. Some of you may be here and you say, you know, I talked to somebody this past week, ate supper with them. They said, Brother Jeff, in my workplace, I'm literally being crucified. They chew on me from the time I get there to the time I leave. They question this, they question that. They talk about the creation. They talk about Genesis. They talk about Bible authority and integrity and and credibility of the Scripture. They just attack, 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 attack. Brother Jeff, what do I do? I said, you smile and look at him and say, what are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about this this historical figure who invaded history 2,000 years ago and changed the course of history? What are you going to do about him? Because I can tell you this much. He didn't give you no room to just simply say, well, I don't know. 
He says, as C.S. Lewis said, Jesus was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's Lord. You see, this is what it comes down to. You know, I'm I'm going to close with this, and I want I want to read to you what I wrote Friday, because I want you to know something. Wednesday night literally blew me out of the water. I, listen, I'm 56 years old. I've been in the ministry over 30 years. I've had I've had men in deacons meetings threaten to pop me in the mouth. I have been I have been in violent places of the world where literally, literally, I've had machine guns. I've had guns on me. I, I've been a, I've been a chaplain in the military. I've walked up and I've been I've drove up in the middle of a in, a, in the middle of training or among a, among a group of soldiers, just raw, non-Christian, ungodly, immoral, unethical soldiers. I've I pulled up in the middle of that, and my driver step out of the jeep and say, "Attention!" And those men all of a sudden stop their language and come to attention. I have never experienced what I experienced in our parking lot this past Wednesday. So I I, I began to think about that. Friday morning, I wrote down here, Friday morning I woke up asking myself how young people could have such disdain and disrespect for the church and the man of God. I'm going to say something here and I want you to listen to me. Such racism that it threw me for a loop. I begin to ask myself why. There's no reason for it. They haven't endured the oppression of their grandparents. And yet there was such hatred that it was greater than the hatred that I saw in Natchez in the most difficult time of my ministry. And I wondered why. They've been fed a diet of hate and movies and music and video games. And then I wrote down their answer. Their concept of God is based on an afterlife where God is a chummy buddy winking at sin, where adultery is accepted, drugs and alcohol are a way of life, and there is no dad and they think that when they get to the end of life that they will stand before God, he'll wink at their rebellion, he'll smile, he'll wave his hand and say, come on in. Their theology propagated by your best life now. And God wants to bless you regardless of how you live preaching. Their thought is, and I wrote this down, the belief is that God loves me too much to send me to hell. The answer, God loves you so much that he sent his son through hell so that you would not have to go there. And I thought to myself, there was one point where a young man was out here and he was literally wanting to hit me just such violence and hatred in his face and he just literally was cursing me for everything he could get out of his mouth. And I thought, why? And I actually thought to myself, if you only knew who you were cussing. I was so upset Wednesday night. I didn't sleep any. A lot of our people didn't sleep. This has been two Wednesday nights straight. I couldn't sleep. It was as if it was as if the pit of hell had been opened. And so all Wednesday night, I just tossed and turned, tossed and turned. Thursday morning, Jason and I, we've been getting together to pray and read the scripture, and we'd gotten together. I think Monday we. Uh, or Tuesday, we got together again Thursday morning. So Thursday morning, early in the morning, about 6 o'clock, Jason and I were in the office, and we began to pray, and we began to just read the Scripture. We began to go to God. When we got through, I felt the overwhelming impression that I needed to do something. God, what do I need to do? So I said, Jason, I said, what do you think? 
about me taking the cross. I said, my dad made this cross for me. I've been saying I'm going to start dragging it around the city. I said, I really believe that the enemy is doing everything he can to attack this church. And I said, I know where his base of operation is. And Jason said, Brother Jeff, I don't see anything wrong with it. I went out, I got the cross. I went out, Jason drove off, and I made my way down Raymond Road. And all the while I was had my Bible in one hand and that cross in the other and I was making my way down Raymond Road and I was praying, just praying out loud, God bring repentance, God bring brokenness, God restore what the enemy is destroying in this community. Just making my way down. People thought, some people probably thought I was a nut. I came down to Wingfield High School and I began to circle that school with that cross, praying, circle. Buses were pulling up, people were pulling up, young people were looking at me. Some of them you could see that hate, but others you could see that love chipping, chipping away. I left Wingfield High School and I came back and and it was like God said, just keep carrying it. So I started coming back this way on the other side of Raymond Road. And I was going this way and I had my Bible and I, sometimes I'd have it open. I would be trying to read while I was walking with that cross, making my way on the edge of the road there, right inside of the curve. I got down to the intersection here and it was that time of the morning when traffic's backed up at every point there where Ellis and Raymond come together. And so God just, I just felt impressed. God said, I want you to put that cross down and I want you to preach. So I stood there. I stood there on the southwest corner and I began to preach. I opened my Bible to John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus. And I began to preach. I began to say things like, God loves you. People were going by. I said, Christ loves you. He died for you. He wants you to be saved, but you must repent of your sin. And it was just, a, and I want you to know that you hear my voice right now. It was every bit this loud on that intersection. It was as if God had just simply plugged it in to a PA system. It was ringing across that. Not one person, not one person came up with that music blaring walls shaking in their vehicle. No one. People cut that music down. People rolled down their windows. One man stood on, on uh, one man in a vehicle, rolled down his window and nearly missed the light turning the second time because he was listening. Why? Because Christ loves this city. He loves this nation. He loves this community and he's desperately crying out for it. And I want you to know something. I sat there preaching. I watched conviction come over people. I saw some people. So I'd, I'd see a little old sweet African American woman. She beat the horn. She looked at me and smiled real big. She did her thumbs up like that. A couple of homeless men literally came and began to shout as they went by. People rolling down their windows. People listening and you can see God dealing with them. God said, listen, give an invitation. I begin to invite them to Christ. God wants you to come to Christ. Why don't you come to Christ? It's your choice. Repent of your sin. Come to Christ. And then finally in that moment when my voice literally, I'd been preaching for a solid 30 minutes. I couldn't hardly go anymore. And I was tired. I hadn't slept. Lord said, just bend down here now and pray. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for the people that were passing up and down. And there was a reverence. There was a reverence on that intersection. God, when I grabbed that cross up, I finally stood up, took that cross, came across the Raymond Road, came back here to the church as I was making my way to the church. Two men were here needing food, needing help. We helped those men. They needed some clothes, we gave them some clothes. They needed some food, we gave them some food. I shared Christ with them as quickly as I could, just in a moment. I came into my office, I sat down, I was exhausted. You know what the Lord said to me? It's like the Lord laughed, said, Son, you preached tomorrow on the street corner and you did in church Sunday. Why don't you do it a little bit more? And I will. And Christ is calling every one of you, some of you men... Some of you men in this room right now, you're not the spiritual leaders in your home. 
We need Joshua's in this day. We need Joshua's in this city that will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, if my pastor can, if he can, if he can stand on a street corner and preach the word, if he can drag a cross up and down these streets, then give me my cross. Because I can tell you one thing, men, you better listen to me, every man in this room. We are about that close to the judgment of God coming on this nation. God is, God is literally nauseated. My friend, you can't watch TV for 15 minutes that you are not bombarded with just absolute obscenity, immorality, such ungodliness, and we're pumping it to the entire world. And we've got so much hatred in this city, you could cut it with a knife. Why? Because we've got young people that are being fed it every single day of their life. It's time to wake up. Southside, we don't put on a show. We're not up here putting on a show for you. And I don't care whether you like what I preach or not. Never have. But I want you to know this, God is speaking to this nation. In fact, I feel so strongly, and I know it's late. Belle, I'm going to ask you to do something. Can you come real quickly? Would you tell them your dream real quickly? Can you do that? I want you to listen to this. And, and the reason being is because we've had a lot of strange things happening. The scripture that we've come to, people that have been praying certain things, certain things have been said. But I want you, Belle, if you would, I want you real quickly, okay, just come up here because you're going to have to get behind this mic, okay? Or let me see. Yeah, let me let you, I want you to share just real quickly what you dreamed last night. We had come to church just like any other Sunday, and it was just a regular life rhythm, nothing, you know, just too spectacular. But the difference about church when we got here was where the Southside Baptist sign. sign is, it was a huge crater, like just a dark pit. And from the, not the concrete around the church, but right outside the white concrete, everything was just flooded and just pushing people and stuff into this dark crater. And two people had come in. And I asked, one of the guys asked about the doors of the church being open. And I asked you, Reggie, you want me to open the door? And you said, it doesn't matter if you open the door, they won't come. And in the instant, I went to the door. And when I thought, you know, to look back to ask you, why would you say something like that? Because that was out of your character. You always want to encourage The instant. <laughs> it's not anything at Reggie. <laughs> and Brother Jeff. In all this chaos and darkness, Brother Jeff and my husband were standing on the side of the building. He's raking the leaves. See, Reggie, I didn't fare much better, okay? (laughs) He's raking the leaves with his back towards all this flooding like he don't see what's going on. And the only sunlight that's in the entire scene is shining on Brother Jeff. And he was repenting to Brother Jeff. I did have some light, so I'm... But when I turned to ask Reggie, why would he say if I opened the doors, they wouldn't come? This wall of water comes and rush, just all kind of stuff in there. And the funny part about it, Brother Jeff, when we were going over the Sunday school lesson is, when I thought about it, I was like, none of the people tried to fight and get away from the pit that they were being pushed into. Because I was going to go try to help them get out the pit, but it's like they were willingly allowing themselves to be pushed into. But didn't you say that at a certain point the whole city disappeared? Yeah, just but Southside Baptist was unaffected by it. The people in it, it's like everybody in here, they were unaware of what was going on to the destruction outside. And I was standing in the doorway wondering, why is everybody so calm? Yeah, I mean, you may say to yourself, you know, Brother Jeff, why would you let Belle share that? When Bell was sharing about the flood and people going to their death, Jeffrey and the praise band, at the moment she was standing out in the foyer, she was crying. They, they were singing the words, open the floodgates of heaven. 
and let it rain at the very moment. When I walked around here, Leanne came in, and as I began to talk to Leanne, her and Jeff or someone had been having the same discussion about, about, about flooding and about water. Now you may say, well, Brother Jeff, why are you, why are you talking like this? Because let me tell you, I get very nervous about stuff like this because we, we don't walk by dreams and experiences. We walk by the revelation that comes through the Word of God. But I know in parts of the world today, in the Islamic world, those people are dreaming dreams of Jesus. They're dreaming dreams of judgment. And I believe this, the Bible says that there will be visions and dreams of God's people as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that God will say some things. As I listened to her say that, as I listened to the song being sung, as I heard what Leanne was saying, as I remember what happened this past last two Wednesday nights, it was all of a sudden like God is saying, my judgment is coming, and I need this church to preach, teach, live out, and love, and love these people. And I think God's saying something to us today. And whether it's to stand on a street corner, whether it's to carry a cross, whether it's to carry a track in your purse, wherever, whatever it is, whatever God's called you to do, you can make a difference where you live if you'll do it. So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand quietly. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now, dear Lord, We realize that, dear Lord, only by your mercy and your grace, dear Lord, do you keep from judging us even now. Dear Lord, as you look brokenhearted over this this nation, over America, dear Lord, Washington can't fix us. The president cannot fix us. Dear Lord, only repentance and revival can straighten up what is messed up in America. Lord, we are out of control. We are living immoral, ungodly, unethical, unbiblical lives that are breaking the heart of God. We are watching as our children today are in schools and educational systems today that no longer hold to the teachings or the principles of of spiritual principles of Scripture. Lord, we're living in a day when it seems like on TV, on our radios, in our music, in our movies, we can just hear and see anything today. It's as if all of a sudden all hell is breaking loose in America. Homes are falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Children are living hopeless and helpless lives. Suicide ranks as one of the top killers of our teenagers. Lord, our our people live on Lexapro, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil. Lord, you name it because we're trying to escape a world that is no longer centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, bring us to repentance. Wake us up. There are men and women in this room who need to go home. They need to call a son or a daughter. They need to say to their own family, listen, you need to be ready. Your heart needs to be right. Let me, we, need to, we need to aggressively confront those that are living lives of rebellion. Father, wake us up from our sleep. Cause us, dear Lord, to realize that the floodgates of heaven could open at any moment while they may bring life-changing, soul-cleansing floods of freshness to our souls. They bring judgment to a world that denies you. What brings revival to the church brings judgment to a lost world. Oh God, wake us up. Wake us up, Lord. Wake some of the men in this room up. Wake us up, Lord. Speak to our hearts, dear Lord. If there's any here that need to come today, may they come and give their life to you, to Christ. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.